10 grand Crazy. to make it look like beautiful. You know, it's like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I wonder where they're getting like the materials. Like, where is this coming from? Like, who are they paying to I, do this? Welcome to another episode of the Refined Real Estate Podcast. My name is Janelle and here I am here with my co-hosts Ian and Manny. We're real estate investors in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Combined between the three of us, we've done, uh, well, I guess after this episode, over 60 units, flipped houses, wholesaled, much, much more. Ian and I are actually mortgage brokers with the Blake Wilson Group and Manny is our USA investing lead. So before we get into today's episode, which we're super excited to bring to you, we're going to be doing a deep dive on the first multifamily building that Ian and Manny and their partners have bought in the US. But before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube and if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please be kind and give us a five-star review. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram. We're all active, active on there. You can find us at Refined Real Estate NS or our personal Instagrams. We'd love to hear from you, any feedback that you have, uh, any questions, any comments, um, send us a message and we'll get back to you. Alrighty, sweet. Well, let's jump into the episode and let's hear from you guys. And first of all, let's talk about how you got into the USA market. How did you come about that? Yeah, so this all started uh, yeah, a little bit over a year ago. Basically, we saw that there was a lot of opportunity down there. We were in some groups where uh, they were doing the majority of their investing in the States. A uh, handful of reasons why it makes more sense. Uh, we'll touch base on some of those as we, we go with the episode. But basically, yeah, we took our sites, aimed them on the States. States is a very large target. So what we did is uh, just kept refining what areas we were looking at and then eventually gain some strategic advantages in Cleveland, which uh, Manny will go into a little bit further here shortly. But yeah, it was a lot of uh, a lot of time in the making of looking at markets, looking at different uh, different reasons to invest in certain areas and uh, eventually settled on Cleveland and went uh, pretty hard on that. So uh, I'll hand it off to well, Manny here. And Yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say I'll hand it off to Manny and he can go uh, a little bit deeper in on that stuff yeah so i started to become interested in the states just about a year ago like ian said and one of the big reasons was like i just kind of like large multifamily buildings i just think they're really cool i just wanted to own them and here in halifax they are a diamond they're hard to come across hard to come across and if you do come across them they're very expensive it's hard to make the numbers work you know um, especially if you're raising money from investors um, so we had to look elsewhere. And then also the three of us were big, bigger pockets fans. And we listened to a lot of their podcasts and you just hear about, you know, the price per door that they buy these buildings at and the cash flow that's down there. And it's like, damn, this is incredible. Like, is this like possible for just, you know, some Canadians to get into? And yeah, went down the rabbit hole. And from that point, I just couldn't turn back. You know, I always tell people there's so many different shiny pennies in real estate, you know, Airbnb, Airbnb arbitrage, you can flip, you can do this, you can do that. But this investing in the USA became too bright of a shiny penny for me to ignore. And I couldn't really turn back. And yeah, that's what kind of brought us to working together because, um, you know, tackling these bigger projects in a different country, can be daunting by yourself. Um, I, to be honest with you, there's no way I could have bought this building by myself without Ian's help, without Thomas' help, without our investors, everybody involved. Like this is this is a team effort by all by all 
chords and um it's turned out pretty well so far and uh yes that's just kind of just quick high level how how we got into it so let's chat first so why cleveland like what were you looking at in the different states like what are you looking at are you looking at like climate is that a is that a consideration what are your considerations when you're choosing your state yeah so there's there's a bunch there's but like the the biggest one i'm sure Eno will agree you know landlord friendly market that was like number one, especially yeah. where we are right now in Halifax. It's very anti-landlord, I guess you can say. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, Cleveland is agree. not that. I think we're at that um, point. <laughs> <laughs> we are, very you know. So. so that was one big, one big thing. So Ohio as a state is quite landlord friendly. Um, it's a large market. You know, Cleveland itself it has over 2 million people. So like sometimes you can find these landlord friendly states, a nice little town and there's like 6,000 people, you know, you don't, we don't want to invest somewhere where there pe- people aren't. Um, there's low yeah. vacancy rates. There's lots of employers, rents growing year over year. I think Cleveland, in fact, had the, it was either the strongest or the second strongest rental growth from 2021 to 2022. So rent's strong there as well. And cash flow's yeah. great. So those are the big things. And then like one of our partners already owns buildings down there and he's owned buildings there. So he already has you know, a team set up there. And then me and Ian were down there. We met some more people. We created an even larger team. So like we have, we feel comfortable with the people that we have there because we're all far away. I'm, me and Ian are here in Canada. Thomas is in California. So we need to be comfortable with the team that we have set up there. So those are the big reasons why we picked Cleveland. Yeah, and to add to that, Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, another one. No, yeah. Another important factor to add to that is uh, your gross rent multiplier. So it's basically just a, a metric that says how many years would it take at the current rents to pay off the, 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 the building. So what's important there is basically the ratio between the amount of rents you can bring in versus how much it costs to acquire a building down there. So if you look at something up here in Canada, it's going to take a long time, which just means there's a higher variance between the rents and the value of the property. Whereas down there, we're seeing a much better uh, gross rent multiplier, which just makes things more attractive. Sweet. So just to recap on that, the factors that you guys decide, looked at were the population size, population growth perhaps as well? Yep. And the then... population growth's not like incredibly strong. Like it's kind okay. of, it's kind of stagnant, but like over the past 10 years, it has grown. Over the past couple of years, it's kind of been stagnant, but there's, they're, they're putting a lot of development into the downtown core. And okay. we can see that population really booming over the next decade or so, the length that we hold the property. Yeah, okay, and so absolutely. And just driving uh, around, you could see all the development that was going on there. I think they invested about $20 billion downtown in the last, I think wow. it was about two years. So you're really seeing like whole sky, uh, skyscrapers that are getting redone, the parliament buildings, that type of stuff, or their state buildings, I guess, so. Awesome. So you've got that. You've got a good rental market growth. You have a landlord friendly state. You have a good network of contacts down there. And then also, like you said, Ian, your gross rent, gross rent multiplier. So that just summarizes the factors that you guys looked at when you're buying. Any other factors that we might have missed? Cheap price per door. That's one. This is weird. We got bought this building for some 56k a door. We have a couple other ones under contract, 49k a door. You know, like you don't see these, you know, price per doors in Canada with strong rent. You know, it's just where you can cash flow right away with high interest rates, you know? So those are some big factors too. That's awesome. All right. So jumping into the deal itself, do you want to give us a high level overview of the deal? What city is it in? What's the number of units? What's the breakdown of the units? What's your average rent right now? Yeah, sure. So 24 units, 
all three bedroom, one bath. It's in Cleveland. The average rent, you know, right now, the lowest ones are, you know, 650 to 700. And then like the higher ones are like 925. So on average, we'd say like mid sevens, high sevens, but market, market rent, that's the kicker, you know, like on the low end, you know, 11, 1200. Or if we kind of use some of these, there's different subsidy programs in the States, like section eight, um, there's one called the Eden program. These ones, you know, they can charge 1500, 1550. So it's like, we can double, triple some of these rents. Triple. Um, so it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I can't yeah, imagine so paying that kind of answers those 650 questions. for a three bedroom apartment. I'd be like, I'm a king. <laughs> I'm a queen. <laughs> They're big too. You know? Yeah. Like 1100 square feet. Yeah. Huge. They're nice, nice units. Yeah. Like, okay. see, the, like if you see the photos like Ian has posted, you know, there this is a huge building. It doesn't look like a normal 24 unit. That's the feedback I've been getting. Everyone's like, how is that only 24 units? And I'm saying because they're massive. Yeah, they're they're really good. Another thing I think that we forgot to mention is that uh, about 60% of the units are already turned over. So we actually got yeah. to tour some of the units that were completed and then some of the units that still needed some work. And the, the, the guys that were in, they did, or ladies, the, they did really good work. So we're really happy with that. And the updates that need to be done, there's nothing like crazy major that needs to be done um, in the unit. So that's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And also some, some of the quotes that we were getting to, re to renovate. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say that um, the rents, or not the rents, sorry, the, the rental costs that we were getting to just to turn over the units, you know, just to make them look nice and adequate like ian just go ahead tell them <laughs> tell them for tell them so just to put it in perspective when we turn over a rent up here we're we're in the ballpark of 35 40 thousand dollars down there just to get things up to snuff just with i don't know how cheap labor is how cheap other um, materials are and all that stuff to turn over a unit it's like five grand six grand so yeah. that it's incredible 10 grand Crazy. to make it look like beautiful you know, it's like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I wonder where they're getting like the materials. Like, where is this coming from? Like, who are they paying to I, do this? That's, ask us in a few months, but it, it's insane. And like, they're not, this isn't just like one company telling us this. It's like, we've approached a number of different people, different property managers, contractors, all this stuff. And that's, that's generally the consensus of what it is. And, and I Crazy. remember listening to some of these bigger bigger pockets podcasts and stuff and people talking about some of their renovation budgets and it blew my mind how little money they were putting in to like get their target rents or flip the house or whatever it was and then now we get to go down there and actually see that oh wow that's that's actually fairly accurate so and when you're talking about like a five thousand dollar reno budget what does that include is it like kitchen cabinets, flooring, paint, like what, what's the sort of scope of work on that? Yeah. So it's a mix. Um, so yeah, in some cases it's new flooring, obviously all new paint throughout, uh, some new appliances. Uh, sometimes that'll include like the, you know, tile around the bathrooms and grout and all that stuff. Sometimes it'll be throwing some new tubs. So it's kind of an average, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's actually fairly comprehensive. So sweet. Okay. So first question, how did you guys find the deal? Well, it's funny you say that it was just on like the, the MLS of yep. USA. So one day I think I was on a call with Ian or not, sorry, with, with Thomas. And we were just looking at different deals that were available. And he pulled up like this one 11 unit. It was very nice. It was probably, it was a turnkey 11 unit looked 
pretty good. But like, I forget, I think it might have been 1.1, 1.2 million. So it wasn't super cheap. And then we went to like a different page and I saw this 24 unit and it was listed at 1.5. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. And like, I, I could see the sides of the building looked huge. It had all three bed, one bath in there. So that's, that was like my first time seeing it. But Thomas was more interested in the smaller building that was turnkey. But I'm like, no, man, this is this is the one right here. So like I went yeah. down like the initial rabbit hole. I'm like, OK, I need to figure out more about this building. You know, we have a realtor down there. I asked him about the area. He told me what he thought. And then we just put an offer in. So like it was just on the market. That's how we, I came across it. And uh, yeah, just the size of it, the price per door. I could not at least take a stab at this thing. <laughs> and then I've got a couple questions here just to kind of like run through. So what's your final purchase price on it? 1.35 mil USD. So you guys got a 150K reduction on it then? Or did you offer at 1.35? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny they say that. This is, this is kind of the frustrating thing. We put in the initial offer at 1.4 mil. It got accepted. And then we negotiated after the inspection. We wanted a 50K credit on close. So it was going to be initial, uh, essentially 1.35, but it was 1.4 and they give us 50K once we close. Okay. But then at the freaking 12th hour, the lender didn't like that and they wouldn't they wouldn't kind of go with it which was kind of frustrating because if we knew this was the case we would have pushed for a further price reduction you know we would have could have got it for 1.3 1.25 or something like that but we were you know with like 50k back in our jeans right away to kind of start doing renovations yeah. just having something in the account that was much more attractive than just having a smaller mortgage but alas it's not how it worked out so we ended up just getting it for 1.35 um so that's that's kind of how it all transpired and then you said it's that works out to be around 56, 57K a door. Yeah, correct. Exactly. Awesome. And then so speaking of the financing, so what is the financing that you ended up getting on it? So what we ended up getting was a, uh, it's a bridge loan. So in sense, we're paying higher interest rates, but we are getting all uh, a big portion of the renovations funded. So the, and the other thing with that is they kind of just threw debt service out the window. They kind of just gave you 75% loan to value, like right on the buy. So it's like, that's a very attractive program, not something you'll typically see around here. Um, but that allows us to go in, do a lot of the work, get the, get the building stabilized, get the rents up, do the renovations, um, all under one nice umbrella, which is, which is quite nice. And what's the term? Yeah. Is it a one-year term or? So it's a three-year term with no prepayment penalty after 12 months. Oh. And what's yeah. your interest rate on it? 11.49, I believe. Let me, yeah, 11.49. Not, and interest not only crazy. Payments. Like not no. crazy considering. Especially for a bridge loan. Yeah. Yeah. For a bridge loan. Yeah. Nothing crazy. Yeah. In today's market that is i know if we talked about this like a year ago people would be like 11.49 that's so crazy and then what loan value did you get on it 75 percent. so you did 25 percent down exactly yep. correct awesome uh and what sort of how did you go about financing did you just approach uh like a local bank like what did that look like so again so we, we had just oh yeah go ahead yeah. Manny. so we just had a, bro a mortgage broker we had a mortgage broker. She's actually based in Toronto and okay. she just helps Canadians find deals or finds lenders for them in, in America. That's her name is Zoe. Okay. So you found a she did it. mortgage broker specific to helping Canadians buy land and or buy properties in the US. Yes. Okay, very for, for this initial cool. one. Okay. Let's see my next question. Is there anything else on like the financing, that sort of thing, like that's like noteworthy of or of interest? Yes. Um, yeah, there's lots. So 
I'll just go over some of the high level numbers as well. So when we did like our our calculations on all of this stuff with the net operating income and our suggested cap rate, um, so at an eight percent cap rate, which is pretty right on in that area uh building value was about 1.57 and with our actual purchase price of about 1.35 our cap rate was around 9.3 then like yeah for if this was a canadian like our debt service ratio like just out the hop right now like even with interest only payments it's it's right around you know one so it's like we're we're pretty much you know, we're up a little bit, so we're a little bit over break even, but we've got some vacant units to fill. And if we get those filled, you know, relatively quick, I mean, we're cash flowing from day one, as as we mentioned. So, um, so those are some points there. What else do we want to talk about with the financing, Manny? So the fact that we are Canadians is a tricky thing. So if me and Ian, and let's say Janelle, were, just, were to go buy this building and we had no Americans on board, financing would have been very difficult. It wouldn't have been straightforward. We would have had to push aggressively for some sort of seller financing, which the sellers in, at this deal, they said they weren't interested in at this time. Or we would have had to put 50, 60% down and our interest rate <laughs> would have been higher than 11.49. Okay. You know, it could have been 15, 20%. Who knows? Because we're all just foreign. <laughs> Back foreign in 1985 aliens, you know? now. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a big, a big hurdle. So luckily, um, one of our partners is American and he's actually the primary on the loan. And because of him, that's why we're able to get, you know, 75 LTV. And really this deal exists because of that. So okay. if he wasn't in the picture, what we would have had to do is incorporate another American into this deal somehow. So it would have okay. to be somebody that has American credit but not just credit, but they need to have assets, net they need worth. to have a track record. Yeah, net, net worth, worth okay. all of that. So it's not straightforward. You know, you have to, these are, these are the biggest hurdles, I think, that kind of stop Canadians, like financing and like the corporate structure. If you can get, okay. kind of figure those two out, you're kind of good. But financing is the initial hurdle. And if you can get past that, then you're pretty much set. And that's only for these commercial buildings. If one to four units, a Canadian can go down there. You can buy stuff, no problem. But almost pro easier than in Canada, to be honest with you. But for wow. um, up to four units, buildings. so as long as it's not multifamily based. Yeah, as long as it's a residential mortgage, it's pretty easy for Canadians to get mortgages there. Okay, and this is a commercial mortgage. This is a commercial mortgage. I'm just gonna move things along because I know, like, we could probably talk about this all day. But yeah, so as we kind of covered like. Yeah. So we covered the financing aspect of it, but I just want to jump into, I want to talk about who's involved um, and the partners on the deal. And then after that, I want to talk about the uh, corporate structure and how you guys set all that up. So um, yeah, who's sort of behind it, the, the high level? I know you mentioned you have your American partner, uh, Thomas, and then just lightly touched on, you know, you've got some investor partners on it and what that looks like. Yeah, I can handle that one. So basically, um, what we decided to do is is not do like a fund or a syndication, which you often hear about people doing in the States. Basically, what we decided to do was like a large joint venture. So it's it's similar to what we've done up in Canada, uh, just with a few more people and obviously it being in the States. So we as the active partner, we took about 60% equity in the deal, all split between us. Uh, Thomas got more because he is obviously the guarantor on the loan and Manny got some more too because he's putting in uh, more money into it. Um, and then the rest is split up based on the amount of capital we needed to invest to get the property and then proportionately divided amongst 
people based on how much money they put into the deal. So we brought on three, four other, um, we'll call them, they're not completely passive, but um, the more the capital partners. Yeah. And, um, and that's how we structured the deal there, then how it's going to work. And again, this is, this is high level. We'll find out more of this, uh, in the coming weeks, but basically each person's going to then have their own, uh, corporation. So we have one large corporation that owns the building. Now, then we'll all have other corporations to, to allow us to receive, you know, cash flow draws or whatever it might be from the building. And then we'll pay. Canadian or American corporation, the individual. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Um, I think those will just be Canadian corps, um, but they might have to be American corps. When those are set up, we'll have some more answers on that. But basically, how it works with the joint venture structure is we'll pay the IRS tax based on the earnings, and then the CRA actually recognizes those as like you've paid your portion of tax. So there might be, depending on how it all flows through, CRA might also want to small portion of that but you're not paying the full tax to the irs and then paying the full tax to the cra so it's not double taxed but they 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 do work congruently in that sense okay that's pretty straightforward i think hearing about a u.s deal is probably new for a lot of our listeners and i think that's a pretty straightforward example of how you're doing it just to recap so you purchased a building the whatever let's call it like number company cleveland Ohio owns that. Um, and then the owners of that are going to be, you know, one Nova Scotia Limited, two Nova Scotia Limited, et cetera. So they'll all be shareholders of this Ohio Corp. And whether you, that is going to be uh, an American or a Canadian Corp, the owners, then they'll pay their American tax. And then basically like your share or like your your money coming, your cash flow portion coming out of that building goes to your corp and then you can kind of do whatever you want with that it's it's your corp it's your business yeah so along those lines that's that's something that's like that pretty good summary like <laughs> yeah like super high level though it's like it's a gplp structure um okay. and like the gp is the who owns the building like venture co investment group there that's the gp and then everybody else is on the lp side so venture co okay. owns one percent and the rest of us own 99 percent, and we're all lps so this kind of hides us from litigation. That's really the biggest thing. I listened to a great presentation last night from a, our, our U.S. lawyer. His name's Bob. And he was just talking about how litigious America is. And it's shocking. Shocking. I, side note, I got to tell you this, this hilarious lawsuit. This guy, <laughs> he, he got a, I don't know if it was his wife, but he got a girl pregnant. And then the kid was born. And the, the, the baby was very ugly and the guy was very upset. And then through this, he found out that the woman has had many plastic surgeries to kind of hide what her original face looked like. So now the baby is ugly because the wife used to be ugly, but now she's beautiful. So he sued the woman for his baby being ugly. How, how crazy is this? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But anyways, that just gives you an idea of how, how many lawsuits. Like, I think I said... Another stat was like um, America has like 5% of the world's population or something small, but they have 95% of the lawsuits in the world. So really structuring this thing appropriately to That's protect crazy. us and the investors 
it's it's incredibly important. Yep. I guess that's why they're calling them LLCs. They're, they're, they're calling them limited liability companies. They they literally created it, the name exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Okay, let's touch on your exit strategy. I think we're probably all familiar with it. That you're turning over units, you're adding some value, you're going to be putting up on at market rent, thus increasing the buildings building's worth because it's a uh, multifamily you're using the the cap rate the income approach and uh and then you're hoping to refi i guess that's a plan take that bridge financing out and put in a traditional that is correct so yeah so basically yeah in the first year we're gonna work uh, where that's where most of the work's gonna happen like i'm sure we'll have some spill into year two but well, ultimately we want to get as many rents up in the first year. So then when we go to refinance into a more conventional loan at a much better interest rate, we want the value of the building to be high so we can refinance and return uh, all if or close to um, as much capital as we can to the, uh, the investors. So then they get their money back. They still keep the equity in the deal. And, um, and then we can continue, continue to stabilize the building past then. But year one's definitely the, the, where the, the most magic happens. And then the plan is to hold on to it for, um, another few years, at least then it's, it's basically, you know, between us, between the investors say, okay, do we want to refi this building again? in five years, pull out some more cash, go buy something else, or do we just want to sell it, be able to 1031 exchange into a larger deal or whatever it might be. So right now, the the concrete short plan is to get it up in value, refinance, pay back some investors, and then then just see what, where everyone wants to go with it. So it's, uh, you know, something if, if we can be producing uh, a good chunk of cash flow from it, I'm sure we'll all be keen to hold on to it. And uh, unless we see a bigger, better opportunity and we want to take that and push that into that. Perfect. And just talking yeah, and about your sell, exit strategy you know, numbers. Some, some perks in America. Sorry. Yeah, just briefly, some perks of investing in the United States is when you sell your buildings, there's ways of... Um, getting around capital gains. Like one is called the 1031 exchange. It's when you just take the proceeds and roll it into the next deal within six months or so. But if you do that, you don't have to pay any capital gains. So like essentially you can just buy buildings, do your thing, sell them, buy another one right away, sell it, you know, do the process over and over and over, but never pay any tax on it, which is amazing. (laughs) Yep. Okay. So uh, I guess on our exit, what we're hoping to do. So right now our current net operating income is around 125,000. So I know we've talked about net operating income in past uh, episodes, but it's basically all of our rent minus all of our expenses equals our net operating income. It doesn't uh, factor in any mortgage payments or financing. It's just show or just to see how efficient the building is. So our short-term plans or our one-year plan is to get the value or the net operating income of the building up to approximately $200,000. So we'll do that by increasing the rents and uh, decreasing some of the expenses. So uh, we'll go into that at a later time. But we're we're thinking to even use like a conservative cap rate of approximately nine. So again, 
we're 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 told in the area you're about a eight percent cap rate we're we're buying at about a nine point three so we're using in and around that so at a nine percent cap rate that would spit out a new value of approximately two point two three million dollars so we're hoping to add about a million dollars of value to the building so then when we go to refinance we'll be able to pull out all of the money that was invested into it from investors um, all of the renovations or a large portion of the renovations are going to be funded through the bridge loan so we didn't have to raise money for that but basically the plan is to get it up to that 2.2 2.3 million dollar valuation um, and that's again nine percent cap rate with $200,000 in net operating income. So basically the hope is then to then burr out, uh, get, like we said before, get a much better interest rate, uh, longer term, we can amortize it over 30 years and uh, get going from there. And so if we're able to pull that off, we're looking at uh, cash flow at about uh, 7,200 per month, and that is in USDs. 7,200 after you burr. Yeah. After the burr, that's and crazy. Those are with the conservative rents, eh? Yeah. Those are that's only that's only getting, I think it's about a third of the building up to market rents. And hold on, let me look that up. Yeah, so that's getting oh well, conservatively saying that's about getting half the building to uh, market or fair market rents and leaving the rest the same. So. Crazy. So you can only imagine, you know, if we so. get them all up to market, we use some some subsidy programs, you know, jack up that rent a little bit more, or we do some Airbnb. Like the the best case scenario of this deal, it's um, it's unbelievable. Oh Worst yeah, case, if we... <laughs> it's it's still good. <laughs> yeah, no, this is yeah a very conservative approach on it. Yeah, like I said, the the subsidy programs, the 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 um, property managers that we hired, they actually own about a hundred units themselves. They manage about two hundred, and they're huge advocates for these subsidy programs. So you mentioned like the Section Eight, the CMHA, and I forget the other one, but um, these programs, there's there's approximately twelve hundred people on a waiting list looking for these types of apartments. And this, it's the same as any tenant. Uh, these ones, you you definitely need to screen because uh, if you don't screen them well, same as a uh, tenant here, tenant anywhere, they can really make life very hard. So if um, and our, the we hired people that are familiar with these programs, familiar with these this tenant base, and if they can execute and actually get. The majority of our rents up to the you know the thirteen fourteen fifteen hundred dollars it's like yeah this this could go really really well so wow that's incredible yeah i'm just blown, i'm still blown on. away by the numbers right now the, the yeah. numbers are crazy but ian we gotta have to, have to talk about the the capital raise and the lessons that we learned along that process oh yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah so just a quick one just i'll, I'll <laughs> so I, in case I'm going to tell a small story here. And the guy that I'm talking about, there's a good chance he may listen to our podcast. And I don't want this to seem like I'm, you know, talking negatively or shading him at all because I'm not, you know, people have to make these investment decisions for themselves and for their families. And I respect everything that you do, you know, but me and Ian were, I was raising money from this guy. He told me he had 200K. He wanted to invest in real estate. So I brought him this deal maybe two and a half months ago. 
after that, you know, I showed him the numbers, you know, he met me, he met Thomas, he met, he met Ian. I had probably three meetings with him. He's like, I'm interested. I'm in, I'm interested. And then <laughs> Ian got tagged in and then Ian talked to him at least two, three times without me. Same thing, you know, I'm in, I'm super interested. Just want to see the numbers, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe like a, a week or two before we're supposed to close, cold feet, cold feet pulled out and there's 200K that we expected that we no longer have, you know? So we had to kind of kind of go and find it <laughs> pretty quickly. So we just learned like, you know, talk is kind of cheap sometimes, you know, like there's, there's value in asking for a deposit, especially when you're raising money from people, you know, it's like, okay, you sh should have known if you're going to be in this deal after one, maybe two meetings after you've seen the numbers, boom. It's like, yes or no. Like I, this guy's a great guy, not a super savvy investor. Whereas I had meetings with other investors that kind of wanted to be a part of this deal. And they're like, we had the meeting. I saw the numbers. They're like, I'll get back to you tomorrow if I'm in or if I'm out, you know, text me the next day. Sorry, Manny, I'm out. You know, I just, it's not a good time. Cool. I'm happy. You know, it's not, it's not a big deal. We'll go elsewhere. But it's like the amount of time that me and Ian spent, you know, just kind of massaging this guy, trying to make him not feel nervous. It was, I don't want to call it a waste of time, but it was essentially kind of a waste of time. Like I won't ever do that again. <laughs> so yeah. 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 It's it was, a tough it was, one too. It was very interesting to learn because I've never raised this much money. I think for people out there who are private lenders or want a joint venture with people and it's okay to say no like a deal just might not be the right time for you might not be the right deal might just just not really kind of hitting it for you like you're just like do you know what i don't like love that area like if you're looking at investing between like say tro and like halifax and it might just be like hey like i'm i'm a halifax investor or the returns just aren't what you're looking for at that point in time it's okay Okay to say no like it's not like you're going to insult someone by not investing it's just not the right fit in both ways like as as a real estate investor you want it to be a good fit you want that person to be comfortable and be excited about that investment you don't want someone along for the ride who's kind of like oh like i don't really know if i want to be here because there is more than likely that there's another investor out there who's going to be a good fit so yeah, and again, Manny, just to follow up on that, yeah, there's, you know, and especially the US, like that's a big jump mentally for some people. Like it, it's it's like we could have, this deal could have been even that much sweeter and there still might've been some hesitation there because there is that huge barrier to entry. Like we're, you know, thousands of kilometers away, yada, yada, yada. But it's, uh, you know, it, it just takes some time. And uh, again, we'll, I'm sure we'll approach that investor again once, uh, once we actually do pull one off down here and we can say, hey, look, this is what we learned. Here's the mistakes we made. Here's how we're fixing them. And um, I'm sure that's really going to help us expand the uh, the investors on this project. So uh, and I guess uh, it's a good point to, to jump in and say, you know, anyone that's invest interested in investing in the states that's listening to this, we're like I said, we've got more projects down there under contract. We are actively raising money for the next one. Yeah, if you, you like what you heard on this podcast, whether you're, you want to know just more about how we did it or where, you know, what, what other challenges we faced, uh, please reach out to us. We're, we're happy to have a chat, but if you want to invest, we've got lots of material put together on the projections and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, we'd certainly be open to chatting about that. Awesome. Yep, absolutely. Are you guys all yep. good to close it out? Yeah, I would say again, this was a, uh, what, 20, 30 minutes of, you know, a condensed version of the last 
three months of what we've been doing. So there's infinitely more than this, you know, and again, if you guys have specific questions, this was all pretty high level, but uh, we're open books. We'd love to chat about it. And uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to, to get underway on this one and get underway at uh, still trying to acquire some more. Yeah, we're just starting. The, the, the U.S. takeover just begun. Yep. I like it. Okay, well, right, that great. is it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you, like the guy said, if you have any questions or you're interested in investing with them in any of their US deals, you can reach out. You can DM them on Instagram at Refined Real Estate NS, or they're pretty easy to reach. Our emails are just our name, my first name, for example, Ian at Refined Real Estate dot CA. Same for Manny, Manny at Refined Real Estate dot CA. Uh, give them give them an email if you have any questions or you're interested in investing in any of their next projects. But yeah, guys, that was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Really looking forward to seeing how things progress and we'll have to do an update in a couple months here. Absolutely. Definitely. Okay. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next week. Thank you. Thank you.